the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. So I got to share this story because we can't be the only school district that has this happening there's no way and if we are now if this is new in california or or only happening in california it will be happening in your school district soon but but i think it already is so let me quote here from uh, the voice of san diego local newspaper googling answers in real time as you take a test letting online lectures play on mute while you watch a movie instead Typing in random letters and numbers as answers and receiving credit. These are all moves that students and educators told me happen regularly in San Diego Unified's online credit recovery courses. So here's how this works. At least at San Diego Unified, our local school district. Second biggest in the state behind LA. Uh, A student fails a course. Instead of having them retake the entire course for an entire semester, they take what they call online credit recovery courses. So you take them on a computer, either in the computer lab, it just takes a couple weeks, or you can do it anywhere. On the computers, they, you just Google the answers as you're taking the tests. <laughs> and you can Google the specific questions, or you can Google and, and look up. Some people upload all the answers. And you just type in the answers and and no one cares. (laughs) There's rampant cheating. Everyone is cheating left and right, up and down as a student. No matter where you are, someone is cheating. That's a given, said a senior at the school. Now, you think, well, hold on. Why does the school allow this? I can't even say this with a straight face. Isn't the administration there to make sure that the kids get a good, high-quality education? (laughs) No, of course not. They don't care. They allow this and they look the other way because they just want to brag about a high graduation rate. San Diego Unified two years ago bragged that their graduation rate hit 91% for the first time ever. Well, of course it did. How could it not? If, the, if you can straight up cheat on your test to pass, of course, of course you get like, if this is how easy it is to pass, then 91% is really low. 
It should be 98% graduation rate. I'll give you two percentage of people who just don't, even kids who don't even show up at all, right? So I'll give you those two percentage that just leave. But everyone else who just sits in front of the computer, you just Google the answers and you type it in, you're done. Like 91%, that's the best you could do. Check this one out. This one's my favorite. There will be a part of the test where you have to watch a five-minute lecture about, I don't know, Civil War. And the question afterwards will say, write a paragraph about the Battle of Shiloh. Whatever the student writes, they get credit and pass. Now, I'm going to say this again, and I want you to really listen to the words I'm saying and and come to a conclusion here. Are you ready? Whatever the student writes, they get credit. Now, if someone told me that, I would think, okay, so if the question is, tell me about the Battle of Shiloh, and someone writes, well, uh, the Battle of Shiloh was uh, in this year and between these two generals, and they were wrong, they would still get credit. No. I mean, yes, but I mean worse than that. Oh, okay. Uh, So if someone wrote about the Battle of Bull Run, they would still get credit? Uh Uh-huh, but I'm I'm worse than that. Oh, so you must mean if someone writes with really poor grammar and, and bad punctuation and spelling, then they'd still get credit. Yes, they would, but that's still not what I'm talking about. I mean, literally, whatever they write, they get credit. Meaning, if you take your, the palms of your hands and smash them into the keyboard, where up on the screen you have literally gobbledygook, just nothing, l- random letters, random letters that don't make words, random letters and, and symbols and just random made-up nonsense, and you press send, you get credit. Because the program doesn't monitor what you write, and the teachers don't check. So you don't even have to write real words, and you get credit for the question. Tell me about the, write a paragraph about the Battle of Shiloh, and you just smash your fingers into the keyboards. Truly, you get credit, and you move on. And then you graduate. And then the administration pats themselves on the back for a wonderful job they're doing with a 91% graduation rate. What is more pathetic than that? This reporter said he watched kids watch the lecture online, mute it, open up a new window and watch movies on Netflix. And then when they have to answer questions, they just open up a new window and then they look up the questions and they copy the question, the answers uh, down into the, the answer sheet. Unbelievable. Now, San Diego Unified, I don't want to get too local here, but they are the least responsive bureaucracy I've ever worked with in my entire life. They don't answer any questions ever. If someone does stumble across an answer, it's a total lie. We've caught them in many, many lies. They are awful. And they will never come on and, and like on a radio show or anything. So the San Diego Unified would not let the principal, there's a school called I-High, like lowercase I-High, high school, I-High Academy, would not let the principal talk, but a teacher at the school did, and said, these, quote, these online classes are a joke. They demean the value of a, high, of a San Diego Unified diploma. 
and they're demeaning to the teaching profession and what I do in the classroom. And do you think the administration cares? Of course not. I don't want to get all into it, but in my, in my local show, I'll just tell you the very short of the story. Last September, a, a, a parent went to a local elementary school and said, school, there is construction going on nearby, and I just want to make sure that there's no lead in the water in the school because of this construction. So the school tested the lead for water. There was lead in the water. Now, it had nothing to do with the construction. It was because of the water fountains. They're so old. There was lead in the water. The school told the parent and no one else. We just found out about this a week ago. This was last September. The school went pretty much the entire school year without telling anyone that there was lead in the water. Could you imagine the betrayal if you drop your kids off at a school assuming that the water's not poisonous? They know the water's poisonous and they don't tell your kids. They don't tell you. So if that happens, you think the school district cares about your kids? And you think they care that they're cheating on tests? Of course not. Are they showing up? Good, they get paid. Are they passing? Good, they can brag about their high graduation rates. That's all they care about. Let me quote one more teacher. Uh, one day he told uh, one day he told his students he was going to shut down Google and other search engines so students couldn't look up answers. And they told him, "You can't do that. Then we're not going to be able to cheat anymore." The principal took his concerns to the school principal, district official, officials, and later presented his findings to the school board. Even then, district officials were slow to make meaningful changes, and this, of course, they have it. Essentially, what we have. This is his quote. Essentially, what we have is widespread fraud in public school systems. And the people who are benefiting from it are the people who are in charge of public school systems. There's something about the culture of our public school where this is rationalized and promoted and it's a national shame. So I don't know if these online classes are going on uh, everywhere across the country. I, I just also want to be clear too. I'm not saying they're bad things on these online classes. But if, if there's no oversight, then yeah, they're bad things. Because what's even the point? I'll end here with a quote from a student. She says, I never thought I'd say this. This is a 17-year-old. I never thought I'd say this, but I actually miss being in a regular class with a regular teacher. When asked if she's learned anything this year, if I'm honest, no. I'm just going through and checking boxes to get it over with. But the graduation rate's 91%. Aren't they doing a great job? I want to come back and share a story of how far we've fallen here. Um, I want to share a story of Frederick Douglass, one of my favorite Americans, and talk about how this is a cultural problem. Yes, it's a bureaucratic problem and it's a school system problem, uh, but it's a cultural problem more than anything. I want to share that story next. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London 
Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Slider Crusaders. So you have these online classes being offered. Uh, some some programs, this is all there is, and some specifically is the course recovery, right? So it's kids who fail. And there's no safeguards to stop cheating, and the administration doesn't care, and many of the teachers don't care either. So what do we do? I mean, you can put more safeguards in. You can make it so they can't open up other windows. You can have teachers stand behind the students to make sure they don't cheat and all that. But really, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's kids don't want to learn. And that is, that's really sad. And that was me too. So I'm not, I'm not looking down at anyone. It's just you get the, the, the love of learning. It's, you're born with it, and it gets crushed out of you. It gets killed by the public school system. Let me share a quick story here, and then I'll get back to that. Uh, so Frederick Douglass. One of the greatest Americans ever. He's awesome. We've talked about him a million times. When he was a boy, he was a slave. And food was, uh, well, scarce. He says, uh, I have often been so pinched with hunger that I have fought with the dog, old Nep, for the smallest crumbs that fell on the kitchen table. And I've been glad when I won a single crumb in the combat. Many times I followed with eager step the waiting girl when she went out to shake the tablecloth to get the crumbs and small bones flung out for the cats. Check out this scene right here. Our food was coarse corn meal boiled. This was called mush. It was put into a large wooden tray or trough and set down upon the ground. The children were then called like so many pigs and like so many pigs, they would come and devour the mush. Some with oyster shells so that in their hands to eat it. They would use oyster shells. Other with pieces of shingle. Some with their naked hands and none with spoons. He that ate fastest got the most. He that was strongest secured the best place. And few left the trough satisfied. That's when he was a little kid. Eight years old, he gets sent to Baltimore. The wife of the slave owner when he was eight years old, taught young Frederick the alphabet. The husband, the slave owner, found out about this and, of course, put a stop to it, but it was too late. The world was open to him like he never thought possible, and he hungered, he thirsted for more knowledge. So this is what he would do. He would sneak out of the house. So urban slavery was different than country slavery. Right? There was no sneaking off the plantation, but in the city you could get away with that a little easier. So he would sneak out of the house and find some white kids in the neighborhood. And they traded. Traded what? The white kids had no food, but they could read. Young Frederick could steal food from the house. At this point, there was more food available. So he could steal food from the house, but he didn't know how to read. So they traded. So eight-year-old, nine-year-old Frederick Douglass would steal food from his slave owner 
sneak out of the house, run down the street, meet up with some white kids, give them food in exchange for being taught how to read. He said, this bread I used to bestow upon the hungry little urchins who in return would give me that more valuable bread of knowledge. There's a high school in San Diego, one of our inner city high schools, Lincoln High. 75% of kids failed the remedial math class. And you're thinking, well, yeah, it's the remedial class. They, you know, they couldn't do it the first time. They're still not going to want to do it. Uh, most, not most, the failure rate of this school is so high. And the, the central office admitted it's because so many kids enter ninth grade high school with a second grade reading level. How, how, how is this possible? How's that possible? It's not the kids. It's not their fault. They're kids. It's the system and it's the home. And maybe we can get to that next, but here's my main point. Everyone is born with a thirst for knowledge and for learning as much as possible. I got a seven month old, anyone with kids who's ever had kids, has seen this process. So right now, Jack looks around at everything. He looks and touches everything and puts everything in his mouth, but that's how he learns. He's learning nonstop constantly all the time. Words, sounds, colors, pictures, things he's never seen before, things he's never felt, textures. It's unbelievable how he's learning. And when he learns a new thing, so we're, we're, I'm teaching him to uh, crawl up the stairs. And when he, when I, so I got him crawling at the bottom, bottom stair, and then I'll, I'll move his arm up to the first one and then his next arm and he'll, he'll go, he'll be scared. He goes, ah, ah. he's seven months. It's so cute. Ah, ah. And then I'll pick his other foot up and I'll put his knee up and then he picks his other foot up and he gets up on the next step and he goes, ah, hey, a big smile on his face. He's so proud. It's awesome. Like learning everything. Now he's just seven months. Everyone who's had an older kid knows that when they're what, two, three, four, five, it's just questions constantly non-stop questions. There's nothing biological that says when kids enter the fifth grade, they lose their curiosity. There's, there's no reason that kids stop asking questions when they reach a certain age. That's not how that naturally works. The desire that the, the thirst for knowledge that we all have, it stops at a certain point because it is beaten out of us either culturally, oh, you know, it's not cool to be smart, or with a system that fails to foster it. You know, we're going to pass you even though you can't read, or we're going to just let you, you know, press nothing, literally just jam your fingers into the keyboard and whatever comes up will pass, except. And because the system is so rote, it's so assembly line, it's so brutally uh, one size fits all. It just crushes kids curiosity and all the standardized testing and all the rest. So kids just stop caring. Every child has the desire. And if they don't at a certain point in their life, there's a reason why. And it's almost always the adult's fault. Look what Frederick Douglass, look at the lengths that he went to, to learn how to read. Look at the lengths he went to to continue learning and gaining knowledge. And today, the, every p- 
piece of knowledge is at our kids' fingertips like never, ever before in human history. And they don't care. Whose fault is that? It's our fault. As adults, how much worse are we? Truly, I mean this genuinely. How much worse are we than Frederick, or better, I say, how much better are we than Frederick Douglass's slave owners as we allow this broken system to continue? As we take their natural love of learning that they're born with and we crush it, we crush it out of them. That's really sad. And we have kids graduating who don't know how to read. Frederick Douglass, a slave owner, or a slave, knew how to read. He'd do, look at the lengths he would go through and kids today can't even be troubled to watch a lecture and answer some questions, right? But it's not their fault. What do they know? We've crushed it out of them. It's our fault. It's the system's fault. And it's our fault because we allow the system to continue. Kids want to learn. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. I got one more education story I want to come back with. The K-12 education bloat. Every teacher who hears this should switch their affiliation from Democrat to conservative, and I'll prove that next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. One more education story, and then I want to talk about H.R. McMaster. Uh, We were supposed to do this a long time ago. We never got to it uh, for whatever reason, but I've seen a lot of McMaster on the TV lately, so I think it's important we know uh, more about him, so we'll do that coming up. Uh, This is a remarkable fact, and I I hope you can remember it. I know it's hard to remember numbers and like you don't have enough going on, Uh, but I'll do the best I can to remember it and repeat it often to, to help. But we've talked a lot before about bureaucratic bloat in the higher education system. And it's totally out of control. Not everywhere. Um, I, don't re- I, don't know, I can't remember these off the top of my head, but in the UC system, University of California system, in just the president's office, is it, what's the number? Is it over a thousand? It must be. Something like there's over, a, there's something like a thousand employees and in the Florida state system, there's like 64 or something. Maybe it's even more. I gotta look, I'll look it up during the break. It's, it's even more. It's like a bigger difference. It's like, wow, there's so much bureaucratic bloat uh, in, in higher education. It's so unnecessary. But we'll say we've done that before. I'm sure we'll do it again. But I want to talk about K through 12 because there's just as much bureaucratic bloat there. From 1950 to 2015, for every new student, right? Because obviously enrollment, there's more kids, right? More people. So enrollment's going to go up. For every new student, public schools hired four full-time staff. And most of those were not teachers. <laughs> Let me throw one more number at you and then I'll get to the key one. Public schools hired two and a half times, hired teachers two and a half times as fast as they added students. 
And you may look at that and you'd be like, oh, that's good. You know, we want smaller class sizes and yeah, student enrollment's going up. We want teacher enrollment to go up by, you know, a lot more because we, we like teachers and we want more teachers. Okay. But they hired, the schools hired seven times as many non-teaching staff. So bureaucracy. Now, this, this is the key right here. This bloat, this, this non-administrative staff, it costs money. So from 1992 to today, Education spending has increased 27% nationwide, K through 12, 27% increase. But teacher salaries, and this is all adjusting for inflation, teacher salaries have decreased 2% over that same time period. So all of the increased spending, none of it's going to teachers. Think about that. Now, if the public school systems hired staff, administration, proportional to student enrollment. So let me be very clear. I'm not saying there should be no administration. I'm not even saying that we shouldn't increase the administration when, when appropriate. So, so for this analysis, I'm going to also increase the amount of administration from 1992 to today. We're going to increase the amount, but I'm just going to increase it at the rate that student enrollment has gone up as well. If we did that from 1992 to today, that would have saved taxpayers $35 billion every year. That's $805 billion in total. If you spread that out to the teachers, that's an $11,000 raise per year per teacher. Now, think about this. Teachers predominantly support the Democratic Party the unions, of course, do. Teachers are mostly progressive. And the unions, even if they're not, force them to support Democrats. What has that gotten the teachers these last few decades? Education spending has gone up, yes. But where's the money going? Not to the teachers. So every teacher in America needs to reconsider what good supporting Democrats for all these years has gotten them. Because if you've been, if you supported conservatives for all these years, conservatives would look at the bureaucratic blow and say, oh, this is wasteful. This is unnecessary. We don't need all these administrators. They would take that money and give it to the teachers. And that would be an $11,000 raise for every teacher for every year. So what good has it done you supporting Democrats all these years? If you're a teacher. Now you can't go back in time. So what do we do now moving forward? Teachers, are you going to keep supporting the same bureaucracy whose only priority is to grow itself, even though that doesn't benefit you who are also in the bureaucracy? It's just to add more people. Why? So that there's more union members, so that the unions make more dues, so that they can support more Democrats and Democrats can keep their, their office. That's how this racket works. This is the iron law of bureaucracy. There's two types of people in every bureaucracy. I know we've talked a lot about this. There's two types of people in any bureaucracy. First, you have those who are dedicated to the mission. So in this case, the mission is to educate children. There are good teachers, but they're in the vast minority. Because the second type of person in a bureaucracy are those who are dedicated to growing the bureaucracy. And that's the teachers union. They benefit from a bigger bureaucracy and they will fight for a bigger system. They'll fight for more administrators. Even if that means teachers are worse off and goodness gracious, even if that means kids are worse off, what do they, they don't care about the kids. The unions don't. 
I could go in a million different directions, but let me, I'll, I'll end uh, this segment with this. I want to read here from Erin Brighton. She is a uh, former public school teacher and an advocate. She would make the argument that parents, uh, like wealthy parents and parents who have really smart kids should send their kids to a public school, even if it's worse for their kid, right? So if you're, if you have plenty of money and your kids are super smart, you should still send them to this public school, even if it's bad for your kid, because it's good for the system. It's good for the country. Now she didn't realize that that's what she was saying, but she realized eventually that when she was saying that she wasn't saying that for the good of the mission, educating kids. She was saying that for the good of the system, the bureaucracy itself. So she finally snapped out of it. And this is what she wrote. She said, if we insist on cramming students into schools and trailers and underfunding schools and overemphasizing test scores, then there's really no hope in sight. If we insist on dumbing down curriculum and cutting back on arts and languages and not differentiating for bright kids, why should bright kids stay? If we want to mainstream our special ed students, but not train teachers how to include them properly, how can those students thrive? I used to argue, she says, that parents with choices need to choose public schools in order for our public schools to succeed, right? The system. I've been choosing public schools for seven years here in North Carolina, and I've only seen the education situation get worse. So thanks anyway, public schools. Take my tax dollars and redistribute it amongst the masses. Maybe that's my new argument. Everyone who can leave should. And I 100% agree. Get out if you can. It was so funny. On my local show the other day, we made this argument. And a couple days after that, someone called in. We were talking about something different with schools. And he said, Slater, I, I just don't know what to do. My kid, we're growing up in this one neighborhood, more inner city neighborhood, terrible schools. My kid's in the eighth grade, so he's going to go into high school next year. Terrible schools. I want him to go to this school just because it's where I went. It's where people in the community go. It's where his friends are going to go. But we have the opportunity to take him to this other school, which is way better, be new friends, more money in the, in the district, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, I just don't know what to do. And I didn't want to tell him what to do, so I asked him a bunch of questions. And ultimately, we got to the point where, of course, you send him to the better school. He can. He works sort of for the district, so he has the opportunity to do that. Most people don't. Most people are stuck. So what do you do if you're stuck? I am praying desperately for parents to go on strike. I mentioned earlier, there's an elementary school in San Diego that had lead in the water and the school knew and didn't tell anyone. And the district's not doing anything about it still. I mean, it's insane. So how do you get the district to do anything when they don't care about you? You go on strike for a week. Parents, parents don't send their kids to the school for a week. Why? Because schools get paid based on attendance. I don't know if this is true everywhere and just in California, but they get paid based on attendance. So if you don't show up, if all the kids in the school don't show up for one day, I guarantee you that the principal of that school will go to Home Depot, buy a water fountain herself and replace it that afternoon so that there's no more lead in the water. On day one, the principal will do that. But as long as you keep dropping your kids off at the school, Nothing will ever change. They're literally poisoning your kids. 
letting them drink the water and they don't tell you. Why would anything change? If they're, if they're willing to do that, what are they, what would they, what's, what's a bridge too far for them? Like what's a line that they won't cross? They will keep doing this until parents go on strike. These aren't even very drastic demands we're asking for, right? Replace the water fountains, replace the poisonous water fountains. Let's start there. Don't even get me started on the, this, the academics, but with all this bureaucratic bloat, nothing's improved. So you have all these teachers who support Democrats and they may not even realize it, but they're just supporting the bureaucracy itself. They're not helping themselves as teachers getting paid more. They're not helping themselves as good teachers who want a little more freedom in the classroom to teach how they want to teach and what they want to teach as opposed to buy the book from some bureaucrat thousands of miles away in D.C., then goes to the state capitol, then to the county school board, then to the local school board, gets filtered through all these people finally before it gets to you and you have no say in the matter whatsoever. Why would any teacher even want that? What have these unions done for you? What have the Democrats done for you in the education system? Nothing. Nothing. Truly nothing. Now we have the data to prove it's nothing. This is an objective fact. Support conservative cause, support candidates and support conservative causes in education. You will have more freedom and you will have more money. one 888 Slater Radio. And our kids will be better off. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater slider setters coming up next going to talk about hr mcmaster and read a really interesting article about leading millennials in the military it's pretty fascinating so we'll talk about that coming up one last point though on kids naturally wanting to learn and if kids don't if there's a kid that doesn't want to learn there's something like there's something wrong that that's not normal it's normal for kids to be curious and have a thirst for knowledge I was talking to someone the other day, his mom's a teacher, uh, third grade, I think. And there's a bunch of kids in the class and there's four kids from four different African countries who speak four different languages, <laughs> which sounds impossible. How do you possibly teach that? That's a... But the thing is, these four kids work harder than any of the American kids. They work harder. They show up on time. They work harder. They're more dedicated than any of the American kids in the classroom. Why? Because they appreciate it and they still want to learn. I think I have enough time to explain this. My wife and I were, uh, we're doing this parenting class at our church. It's awesome. And the, the last class was about teaching your kids to respect and obey. You have to train your kids to respect and obey. It is not natural. Right, so the definition of obedience is first time, quickly, happily, and completely. So if you ask your kid to hand you something and they don't hand it to you, that's obviously not obeying. If you ask them to hand it to you and they don't, and then you ask them again and they do, that's not obeying because they didn't do it the first time. If you ask them and it takes them a minute, that's not obeying because it's not done quickly. If you ask them and they hand you uh, part of it, that's not obeying 
because it's not done completely. And if you ask them to hand you something and they do, they hand it to you, but they go or roll their eyes, not obeying because they didn't do it happily. And if they don't do any of those things, if they don't do all those things, then you have to discipline them right then and there. Otherwise, it's all going to spiral out of control and it's going to spiral out of control about more important things than just hand me that toy. So it ha- the request from the parent has to be done the first time quickly, completely, and happily. Otherwise, it's discipline time because dad's in charge, not Jack. And if dad's not here, mom's in charge. And if we're not here, then the teacher's in charge, etc. I share this because kids need to be raised to happily... Uh, obey, right? They, they, need to, they need to be trained in this. Kids don't need to be trained to learn. They don't need to be trained to love to learn. It's much easier to train your kids to learn because they already love it than it is to train them to behave. Kids have rebellion in them. It needs to be disciplined out, but kids don't need to be taught to learn. They don't need to be taught to ask questions. They do it naturally. So again, when a kid's not, there's a reason why. So to go back to the kids cheating in, in high school on these, on these uh, online tests, why wouldn't they? Right? This kid goes through the system and it, it's killed. The love of learning is killed throughout the years through the public school system, through the assembly line that is the public school system and the standardized testing and all the rest. It's just murdered inside of them. So they get to high school and they don't care. So if they don't care about learning anymore and you tell them not to cheat, like, what do they care? They don't care because they're not curious anymore. You just, you got rid of their thirst for knowledge. And if that's true, which it is for most kids, we're not doing it right. <laughs> I bring up the parenting class with it because y- if you're a parent, you don't just want your kids to obey you. That's one thing. You want them to happily obey you. Right? It's just like God doesn't g- want us to give to the poor. He wants us to be a cheerful giver. It's all about the heart. And kids love to learn. They do. And if you ask a kid what, what, you know, what they learn in school today and they say nothing, there's a problem. There's a problem there. And there's a lot of different causes for it. But one of them is the system itself. The public school system itself. It's got to go. It's, it's so sad because it doesn't have to be this way. Coming up next, leading millennials in the military. I'll tell you what that looks like, what that means next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.